Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. If we were to have a TV series about Jesus, this would be an episode today and would probably be the biggest episode that would ever be in existence. The reason why is that it gives us some details. It lays out some scenarios in the life of Jesus where he is about to head toward the cross. And when we look at the scenes that John is giving us, they are really dramatic. Maybe on the surface, they don't look like they're dramatic, but they really are. And so the message title today is Betrayal, Denial, and the Trials. However, there's a subtitle, and the subtitle would be this. Real love leads to death. Real love leads to to death. Now let's look at this for a second. Let's examine John and what he's given us. The first thing that we need to know is that John starts off in chapter 18. And I'm not reading the scripture. I want you to follow me because I need all the time. <laughs> and so instead of reading the full scripture, we're just going to go through it. And so when we look at what he says in verse number one, he says, when he had finished praying, So the first thing we see is that Jesus was praying. Now, what we don't see is why Jesus is praying. And what we have to do is we have to look at the synoptic gospels to understand the dynamic of what's taking place. The synoptic gospels are different than what we see here in John because in the synoptic gospels, in the word synoptic, it just means similar. It means that we see the same stories depicted in Matthew, in in Mark, and in Luke. And so what we see here in John, John writes from a different perspective, and we need to understand that. So John is giving us some information that's tied into Jesus being not just a man, but Jesus being God. See, each one of the writers of the Gospels, they've given us something different. So when we look at Matthew, Matthew's writing from the perspective of Jesus being king. When we look at Mark, he's writing from the perspective that Jesus is a servant When we look at Luke, he's writing from the perspective that he's the son of man. And when we look at John, he's writing from the perspective that he's the son of God. So we see that Jesus is praying. And the reason why we gather this information from the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus is getting ready to go into a situation that he's struggling with. And that's going to the cross. See, we see the the human part of Jesus. We see that he was agonizing. Matter of fact, it lets us know the word. It says that he's troubled. Jesus is troubled. Can you believe that? Jesus is troubled? Yes. Because Jesus is 100% man. He's struggling, going to the cross in his humanity. We struggle all the time, don't we, with different things. 
We struggle constantly with things that happen in our life because a lot of times what we tend to do is we go through things in our flesh and the last thing we think about is turning to God through a spiritual perspective. And so when we look at what the dynamic is here, we see that Jesus is finished praying. Jesus had to pray to the Father to give him strength. And in fact, it lets us know in one of the synoptic gospels that an angel came to minister to Jesus while he was in the garden. Why? Because all his friends, the three of them that were the closest to him, they were sleeping. Sounds like us, doesn't it? Going to sleep. That's what they did. So Jesus got up from praying. And then he took them, and it says that Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Verse number two, now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So what do we see here? We can't just go past this. What we actually see is that when Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley to go up from Jerusalem, he's going to what John says is the olive grove. In the Synoptic Gospels, it's called Gethsemane, which means olive press. That that was going to be where Jesus was going to be dealt with. Jesus was going to have to deal with temptation from Satan. Now, if you notice, John talks about a garden, but the other three says they call it Gethsemane. Now, when you actually look at it, we see Jesus in a garden, but who else do we see in the garden? We see Adam in the garden, wasn't he? We see Adam, that's where Satan confronts them in the garden, but yet here we see Jesus being confronted in the garden as well, which we know that Paul refers to Jesus as being the second Adam. So we see the difference between the first Adam, which fell, and the second Adam, which didn't. That's why the New Testament, you have to, when you read the New Testament, you got to deal with the Old Testament. And so when we see the Kidron Valley also, we know that David crossed the Kidron Valley, and he also went up into the Olives, the Mount of Olives, and isn't it ironic that when he was going up out of the Kidron Valley, that that's when he found out that his best friend and confidant, Ahithophel, had portrayed him. David found out that he was betrayed by his best friend and confidant because his best friend was part of a rebellion that his son Absalom had against him right at the same location, okay? So then, we look at this garden. It's amazing, the contrast, and I don't have time to get into it, but we could stay there for, for the whole morning it, about the contrast between the first Adam and the second Adam, but the only thing we need to know there is that Jesus conquered the garden and Adam didn't. Hmm. So here, we're able to see that Judas was going to be a problem. But Jesus already knew that. Judas was one of the disciples. 
And yet, in knowing that he was going to do what he was doing, matter of fact, Jesus told them at the supper, at the last supper, that one was going to betray him. And here, Judas is the one. And because he knew where Jesus would be, because that's where they hung out, the Mount of Olives, they would go there because the festivals that they had up in Jerusalem, you know, and at this particular time, there was the Passover taking place. So Jesus would naturally be there because he was Jewish and he would honor all the festivals. And so every time they went up, they would also go to hang out in the Mount of Olives. So Judas knew that. And it was nighttime. This was in the nighttime at this particular moment. And so what do we see? We see Judas, in verse number 3, he came to the grove guiding a, de a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and, and weapons. We also know that they were, what were the weapons? They were swords and clubs. We find that from the other Gospels. So, and what's a detachment? It was actually called a cohort. A cohort consisted of 600 men. If you're familiar with legion, the word legion is 6,000. And so it's one-tenth of a legion, which is a cohort. And so 600 men are coming for Jesus. Really? 600 men plus the Pharisees and, and the chief priests. They're coming after Jesus. <laughs> like, what is he going to do to them? Well, he could do a whole lot, couldn't he? And so we see that they're coming for him. And, and the text in verse number four, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Now, this is, can be really difficult when you look at it. But the reality is, is that when you look at the synoptics, what they tell us is that Judas kissed him. And in, it's in all three of them. What we see here is that Jesus actually goes out to them and asks the question, who are you looking for? There is no contradiction here. We just have more information. Remember what I said earlier. What I said earlier is that, that John is writing from a different perspective. So he's writing from the viewpoint of Jesus as God. And so the information is going to look different because he's depicting the things that God does in Jesus and through Jesus. Because Jesus is a man, but he's also operating under the power of the Holy Spirit under the obedience of the Father. So we actually see all three of them working here. Okay? And so when we look at this, what's taking place? This is so cool. We see that when he asked the question, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, and then he says, I am he. But look at what it says next. It says they drew back and fell to the ground. When he said, I am he, which by the way, in the Greek, it means it's only I am, he is taken off. So it's I am, and where do we see that at? We see that way back in Exodus, right? When I am spoke out of the burning bush with Moses, 
to let him know, listen, you are in the front of holiness. You are standing on holy ground. And here at this point in time, Jesus is revealing the other part of him, not just the man part, but now there's a little glimpse of who he is as God. Because when he says, I am, that's a reflection of his title as, as God. Notice John. When we look at John, John has I am all over the place. And matter of fact, he has it like 18 times. No, excuse me, I think it's about 16 times. He says that I am the Messiah. I am, I am from the boat. He says, I am the bread of life. I am from above. I am the light of the world. I am before Abraham was, I am, meaning he was eternal. I, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the son of God. I am the resurrection and life. I am the Lord and master. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I'm the alpha and omega. And guess what? I am the first and the last. So when they heard I am, the majestic name, they fell back. They don't even know why they fell back. They just responded because they, they were in the presence of God. Now, what's interesting here is that most of these men didn't even know who Jesus was. And if you notice, they were coming out at nighttime, so they needed to identify Jesus because it was in the night. Now, look at this. If Jesus voluntarily goes to them and says, who are you looking for? Why did, was he able to do that? Because he was ready. Why was he ready? Because he prayed. See, the reality is, is that when, when the will of God is known, guess what? We should have no problem. It shouldn't matter who's offended. It, should be, it shouldn't matter what's going to happen to us. All we know is that we're in the will of God and we got to go. We shouldn't have any fear right now. Isn't that why, why he's told Moses, I am? Now, now he's revealing to, to his disciples, y'all, look it, look it, I am. I need to remind you. Listen, I already told you what I was going to be doing. I already told you I had a mission to the cross, and right now we just started it. But listen, y'all, you're going to have to go through some stuff, but I want you to know I am. You don't have to worry about it, because I am. I am. That's, all we, that's what we need to remember. Who's with us? As a believer in Jesus, I am is with us. Why, why are we afraid? So here it is. I need some water. Where's my water at? So then... Jesus is protecting his disciples. Jesus is acting out of love. Now, remember what secondary title. Love, real love, leads to death. Where's he going? He's moving toward the cross, right? But notice, what he knows that his disciples are in danger. So, so listen, it's on me. Listen, who are you looking for? I'm here, leave them alone. Could not have Jesus left? It was nighttime. He could have left. He didn't have to give himself up. He didn't have to take that on himself. But he prayed and he was ready. 
See, when God gets us ready, we're ready. There's nothing to fear. Jesus was ready. And so he's protecting his disciples because he loves them. But I got to move along here. Um, so I told you that I am he, Jesus asked or answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. There you have it. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Now, Jesus is answering the prophecy that he prophesied in the earlier chapter of John. And so what he's saying here is who the Father has given me, guess what? You go ahead. Who the Father has given me, and how has the Father given them to me? Because when I go to the cross and satisfy the Father's will by dying on the cross for their sin, anyone who believes in me and walks in me, guess what? They're mine. And they will be protected. So why, if there's a problem, if you know that you've given your heart to Jesus and you know that you belong to Jesus, why is there a problem with this thing called eternal security if the Father has secured it through Jesus at the cross? Right here in the text. The Father has given you to me. You guys are going to be okay. I have not lost one of those you gave me. I haven't lost any. It's the word. Okay, and then what happens? In the next verse, so we see, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Now, now look at Peter. Peter responds out of the flesh. That's what it was. Now, here you have 600 men with swords and with clubs, and Peter with a sword. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And here you have Jesus who can call down a legion of angels, or he could just put his hand out, and they all done. But look at the love of Jesus here in the midst of moving toward the cross, loving. What does Jesus do? Picks up his ear, puts it back on his face, and heals him. Still loving. Not thinking about himself. About him getting arrested. Not thinking about any of that. No, Jesus loving, moving toward death. That's what he's doing. And, and so what does that say to us? Uh, well, I, I think what that says to us is that, wait a minute. See, when we look at Jesus, he is being portrayed. When we look at Jesus, he's about to, someone's going to deny them, him. There's going to be a denial which means Jesus is all alone. Jesus is by himself. They're all going to scatter. What happens when you stand alone? Are you able to stand alone? Are you able to love when everybody else is hating? 
Because right now, they were coming after Jesus to arrest him, and, and here, because he prayed, he was ready. I'm ready to deal with this. I'm ready to move forward. And, and the cup of wrath, that's what the cup is. It's a cup of wrath, which means suffering and death. The cup of wrath he was taking on, and that was his struggle. Lord, I'm, I'm struggling with this cup of wrath in my flesh, but Lord, not thy will be done, but your will be done. Okay, I got to go. And now he's in a posture of being able to love in the midst of moving toward the cross. Why? Because he, had lay, he was laying down his life so that we might live. Love. See, Jesus wasn't concerned about what was going to take place with himself. He was still loving in the midst of all this stuff being done to him. So what happens when stuff is being done to you? What happens when people betray you? What happens when people talk about you? What happens when people try to kill you with words? What do you do? Are we trying to love like Jesus? Or do we want to act like Peter in his flesh and cut somebody's head off? Because you know that's what he was trying to do, right? He just happened to get his ear because the guy probably moved. And see, if we're talking about living like Jesus, then we need to move toward dying. Because isn't it about self? Self has to die. And if we look at Jesus, Jesus is showing to us about this, and this is what self does. Self is willing to die, and I'm going to be a demonstration of that death for you. Look, I'm going to move toward the cross so that you can see that in the midst of this, there's love. So that when you die to self, that's when you're really going to have love come out of you because it's only when we die that God can move the love in us. Then what do we see? A scripture. Then we see what? These attachment of soldiers. He gets arrested. And then he gets taken to, uh, he gets taken to trial. They capture him, and he's supposed to go see Caiaphas, who is the chief priest, the high priest, rather. And we see that he goes to Annas. Annas is no longer the high priest who is actually sitting because they have replaced Annas with Caiaphas, who is his son-in-law. However, they still look at Ananias as being the one who is sitting. So that's how Ananias is the one that Jesus ends up going before. And so we see that he goes before Ananias. And then the drama switches. The drama switches to Peter. Now here's Peter. And we're at the scene. Now notice what, what it says in verse number 15. Simon Peter and another disciple, another disciple is actually John, because John is the eyewitness that's writing this, and we know that it's John in a second. Let me read it. Um, it says that they were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. 
the other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. Now, what we see is that John's father was a businessman, and he had a fish company. He was a fisherman. And so he provided fish for the palace where the chief priests lived. And so what happened was John, they knew who John was. So John was able to go in and out of the palace. So he went into the palace to get permission to bring Peter into the palace because they were following Jesus at a distance. And so when, when, when Peter is standing there at the door, there was the servant girl who opens up the door and she said, hey, weren't you one? You're one of his disciples. And what did he say? He says, no, not me. So what do we see? We see a denial, right? That's the first denial. But see, that was a denial of association. I'm not associated with him. I, 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 I'm not associating with that guy. Isn't that what some believers do? They, uh, no, uh, I, I'm not associated with them. Notice they're following Jesus from a distance. They were close to Jesus. They were right there. They backed off. Now, I got to give Peter some credit because he's following him. He's at least following him, but he's following him at a distance. See, that's what a lot of believers do. They follow Jesus from a distance because it don't take all that. No, I, I don't need to be doing all that. Going to church once a week is enough for me. No, no, I don't, I don't need to read my Bible every day. Why? It doesn't take all that. Listen, Jesus died for me. Isn't that enough? I believe that. No, 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 no. Jesus said, when you follow me, if you become my disciple, that means you are following me, what I do. Now, if you are willing, if he's willing to die, what does that mean? We as disciples got to be willing to die. We got to lay down our lives because that's what love does. That's what Jesus does. Right? So, so we see here that they deny him. They follow from a distance. So at least he followed from a distance. And what else do we see? We can give him some props. Let's give a little props to, to, to Peter. Just a little bit. Peter followed from a distance, okay? Peter also loved Jesus. We know that he did. And, and yet he tried to defend Jesus. Even in, in, in the flesh, see, see, when we try to do stuff in the flesh, we get it wrong. People try to live their Christian life in the flesh. When you try to live your life in, when you try to live a Christian life in the flesh, you can't do it. It's a lot of work. You can't do it. You don't have the strength to do it. You don't have the capacity to love in the flesh. That's why Jesus gives us help and gives us the Holy Spirit. Because we have to do this through God's help who comes from the comforter that comes into us when we are born again. And it's through his power that we live out this love that moves us toward dying. So if we're not dying, we have to ask the question, am I really living in Christ? Mm. Because until you die, you don't know how to live. Then what do we see? The scene switches, right? Now it goes back, okay, we're in, in the midst of the high priest. And so here's Jesus being questioned by, by the high priest. And, and, and meanwhile, in verse number 
uh, 19, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and the teaching. Now, now what you got to know here that in the synoptics, you're going to find out the questions behind the scenes on how, how Caiaphas got the questions to ask Jesus. See, and the other thing, he's, he's actually investigating, Annas is investigating. Jesus actually goes through six trials, but in John, he only records two. This one with Annas, and then the next one with Pilate. So if you want to see what happens with the other four, you got to go to the other Gospels. So he has information about, about the high priest questioning Jesus. And, and, and so Jesus, <laughs> like Jesus, typical Jesus, this is his answer in verse 20. I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues, gods, and temples where, where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. And then you have this guy. He smacks Jesus in the face. How dare you talk to, to the high priest that way? Now, when he slapped him in the face, he wasn't allowed to do that because you weren't allowed to hit an unconvicted prisoner. So now they're going against the rules. And the interesting thing is, is that the Roman government had, the judicial system was pretty good. It was pretty good system. And yet they start to go against their own system to satisfy the Jews. So as we keep reading, and we need to rush through this. And so then, what do we see? We see after he gets smacked, and then, it, then what does he do? Annas sent him, still bound to Caiaphas. And then we don't see that in John. You got to go read that somewhere else. So he sends him to Caiaphas, and then that's taking place. And so then the scene switches again, switches back to Peter. And then what do we do? Down in verse 25, we see Peter again, and he denies twice. So here's Peter. He was in the, he was in the out court, outward court, and then he's, he's out there warming his hands, you know, with, with everybody else. And then he comes in, and, and what happens? Somebody else recognizes him. Hey, weren't you one that was with Jesus? He says, no, not me. And then look what happens. This is so funny. We see one of the high priest's servants in verse 26, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off challenged him. He says, didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? I, I was there. I saw you cut his ear off, man. When we get our hand caught in the cookie jar sometimes, we deny it. When somebody comes to us about something that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing, we deny it. See, you know what love does? Love challenges. Love challenges. We need to be challenged in our lives in order to grow. If no one's not challenging us about our walk, then we're not going to grow very much. Because we don't check ourselves a lot. You know why? Because we have blind spots in our lives. 
And we, it takes outside people to see those blind spots. And a lot of times, when somebody comes to us to tell us about something, we don't want to hear it, and we get in denial like Peter. We want to get on Peter's case, but we do the same thing. We go into denial. You, you, you know what? I think there's a little bit of envy in you. No, there ain't. I, I can see how you're looking at them because, because of that, that girl that you like, man. You, you don't like him because he would or you not. <laughs> that was in high school. But, but the reality is we do that. And you know what? We do that as, as couples. We do that in, in marriage. <laughs> our, our spouse come to us and tell us something. No, you're wrong. And they just as right as they can be. But because we're so prideful, especially men, we're so prideful. Let's be honest. We don't want it. We're prideful. You're going the wrong direction. I'm looking at it on the map. No, I'm not. I've been this way 20,000 times. Oh. <laughs> right? See, but if we never die to self, we're going to keep doing it. And so God, Jesus, is challenging us to die to self. And the only way to do that is to know how to love by moving toward death. And so I, I need to finish up. Um, so we see the denial of separation and the denial of discipleship. Now, we already saw the denial of association, and now we see the denial of separation and the denial of discipleship. And so what happens? A person who's denying by separation, what, what are they doing? They're pretending not to know who Jesus is when it comes to the world. They're pretending not to know. Um, aren't you a Christian? Well, I, I, I go to that church because I like it, but I'm not really a Christian. Shame. No, that's separation. That's what Peter did. And then the denial of discipleship. What's that? Oh, fading into the crowd. Fade, look, that's what Peter was doing. He faded into the crowd so that thinking that nobody's going to know who he is. Because I, you know, I don't want my friends to know that I'm saved. What? Isn't that why you get baptized? Baptism is a reflection of something that's taken in, that you've done inside. It's an outward expression of what has happened to you on the inside because you're saying that I received Jesus and I want my life to be different and I want people to know that's why we get baptized. But then we get into the world. I don't want nobody to know I'm a Christian. That's what Peter was doing. Peter had been with him for three years. How many years have we been with him? Finally, we see Jesus before Pilate. And they're going through all this stuff. And Pilate is asking them questions. I, I, I love Jesus. He knew what was going on. I want to point out a couple things, and I'm going to get out your way. Uh, verse number, verse 28. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning. So all this was taking place at night. All these trials. 
So now it's early morning, and to avoid, now look at this, to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. Wait, hold up. Aren't they the ones planning the murder? And they're concerned about rituals? It's right there. They're planning to get Jesus killed. And they're concerned, oh, uh, see, the Jews, weren't, they did not go into the houses of Gentiles because those Gentiles, they're not holy. They, they're not holy. They're, they're ungodly. We, there's no way we could touch that. And so they believe that if they go into the house of a Gentile, that they were going to be ceremonially unclean, and they would have to now go through this ritualism to get back into cleanliness again, which means that they wouldn't be around anybody for, I believe, it was a week. And they said, it's the Passover. We cannot do that. And so Pilate comes out to them. That's why they didn't go in there. But look at the thinking. Hold up. They're getting ready to plan a murder but they're concerned about rituals. You see something with that? Huh. If I was a criminal, if he were not a criminal, verse 30, they replied, we would not have handled them over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law but we have no right to execute anyone. I'm gonna close up here. The reason why they wanted to turn Jesus over to the Roman government is because they weren't allowed to execute. In their judicial system, they, every once in a while, they might have a stoning, depending on what it was, but they weren't allowed to execute. And so now they wanted the Romans, the government, the, the judicial system under the Romans to execute, but notice something else. You can't forget about prophecy. See, it was prophesied how Jesus was going to die. And so now look at how all the pieces just come together. Somehow, how God in his orchestration of things <laughs> said something years, years, years ago, and now it's coming to fruition. So it was going to be the Roman government that was going to execute Jesus because they, they had, in their system, they had crucifixions. And it was prophesied that Jesus had crucified. But there's something else here. It's that it had to be the Jews and the Gentiles. Why? Because Jesus came to die for both. The word of God. See, they had to, they, the Gentiles had to now become a part of what they were doing because God was revealing himself, Jesus was revealing himself that they had to, they had a need for Jesus. And so if the Gentiles were never part of it, they wouldn't see the need. So they were part of killing Jesus. And then guess what else? You remember when in the desert they lifted up the snake on the pole? Y'all remember that story? 
unless he be lifted up. When I'm lifted up, I draw all men unto me. Jesus had to be crucified because he had to be lifted up like the pole because he was going to be cursed by God because of sin. He had to fulfill that. So he had to die on the cross because that was the only way that God was going to be satisfied because he was cursed by God because of sin. So when Jesus takes on the sin of of us, He is now cursed because of the sin. And so when he's lifted up and he's killed at the cross, that satisfies what what God wants, God the Father is looking for. And so when we see the end, when Pilate says, Jesus is innocent, he confirms the fact that Jesus did not do anything wrong And that's how he became the sacrificial lamb because the school lamb had to be perfect without blemish. And Jesus was perfect because he was without blemish. And it's confirmed by Pilate. And then what happens? He moves toward the cross. Everything else happens. See, the fact is, When we see Jesus and what's being depicted here, we see how he's loving in the midst of moving toward death. And yet we see, for us as believers, in order for us to really love, we have to die. If we never die to self like Jesus did, we can never really know how to love. That's what he's looking from us as a disciple. Let's love, y'all. Because love, real love, leads to death. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that through Jesus, we're able to not only see the example of how to live, but, Lord, we can really see through Jesus how you loved us and how he loves us and how we need to love. Father, help us to understand this and help us to live it out in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at rocksboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.